here the one thing that I learned this year or last year was I really separated who I was from what I do. I contributed it to climbing mountains. Like I I am very driven. I'm very like, okay, I'm gonna go do that. And then I go do that, you know? I might slip, I may like skin my knee a little bit, but I'm gonna reach that mountain. But the problem was that I wasn't enjoying the view. I was so quick to go and achieve something else that I didn't really appreciate what I just did. This year, I really learned how to not only kind of like sit and enjoy the view, but like take it in, breathe, see the sunrise, see the sunset, and then really like understand the gravity of what I just did. Welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I talk with Marjani M.J. Rawls. M.J. has five self-published books of poetry, three of which have reached the top ten in new releases on Amazon. His sixth book, Long Live, will be out on June 5th, with pre-orders starting on May 11th. Our conversations range from his creative process to influences and many of the notable organizations he's contributed to over the years. MJ is one of the most consistent and disciplined writers I know, contributing to over 18 different websites and having a journalism portfolio with over 900 articles. He's even a Tomato Meter approved critic for Rotten Tomatoes. So just sit back, relax, and get ready for Mirjani Rawls' journey as a writer. Welcome to the Juxtapose Journeys podcast. I'm so happy to have you on. Good to be here, man. How you how you been? How you how you feeling? Good, good. Um, the weather's been kind of weird here today in Michigan. Um, it's been so it was really hot last week, um, and then naturally it kind of cooled down a little bit. So this weird like storm effect thing. So it goes from being to where being to where you think it'd be like shorts weather outside. You go out for a little bit, and then it just starts raining and the temperature drops. It's like oh, never mind. <laughs> Yeah, I'm in New Jersey uh, today. It was it was pouring a little bit. We've been kind of enjoying some spring weather. Um, it's been kind of fluctuating between, I think tomorrow's going to be in the 70s, and then we're going to drop into the 50s. You, you know how that goes in March and April. It's like, <laughs> it teases you a little bit, and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, you can't really wear the shorts just yet. <laughs> exactly no i feel like the uh proper attire in this weird time of year is just like almost like shorts and a and a sweatshirt with like you know some sort of lighter t-shirt underneath just in case it gets warmer it's like kind of the nature of the season right now so i i know you uh definitely agree with me being in jersey there (laughs) (laughs) yeah man it's uh winter has been weird in new jersey because usually i mean this year we've gotten some considerable snow the past years we haven't like it's just kind of like in november and december we'll have like that regular like that odd 60 degree day where we're like what like don't pack the uh, the spring clothes up just yet you know <laughs> oh for sure no I, I saw some sort of meme or something getting shared around where it was like 
you know, it was saying like the eight different seasons of Michigan or something like that. And it was just like, <laughs> you know, second winter, like just kidding, you know, like first spring or like, you know, teasing spring or something like that. And it's, it's so accurate though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all over the place. Um, now you were born and raised in New Jersey, right? Yes. Nice. Um, what area? Um, so I was born in Newark and then from there moved to North Brunswick and stayed there for until about eighth grade and moved down to South Jersey where we lived in Bordentown, which, so it was going from kind of like a largest, like not North Brunswick is too large, but it's, it's pretty much city. And then going to, you know, South Jersey where it's considerably small and, seems like everybody knows everybody yeah no for sure um yeah and my my knowledge of new jersey geography and stuff is a little sparse but i did go there uh at the end of 2019 because i ran the atlantic city marathon and uh yeah it was a blast i had a lot of fun yeah we have i mean when jersey shore came out a lot of people asked me about that like it was just like oh man is that how it is like is that how the people are i'm like I don't think everybody on that show was from Jersey. I think a couple people were. <laughs> but, I mean, Jersey has a little bit of everything. It has farmland. It has city. It has, like, you know, Atlantic City. Uh, it has, you know, quiet places. It has places like Princeton. It's just a little bit. It's just a smorgasbord of everything. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's that's kind of the vibe I got from it as well. I didn't get to do a ton of exploring, unfortunately. Um I did, uh, I actually dragged my family to the Pine Barrens, though. I don't, have you ever been to that area? Yeah, where we were searching for the Jersey Devil, I guess? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I got I got on a big kick of listening to Lores, and uh, yeah, they had an episode about the Jersey Devil, and I was like, oh, I gotta check that out and see it, so like, risk my whole family's health and safety, and I was like, let's go to the Pine Barrens. <laughs> I've been there a couple times. I haven't found him yet. Uh, I will report back if I do. Perfect. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely do a follow-up episode on you if you find him. <laughs> <laughs> so good. No, that's that's awesome, though. So um, anyway, uh, so I saw on Facebook recently, your sixth book, Long Live, will be out on June 5th um, with pre-orders starting on May 11th. So how has the entire process been of putting that together? Well... I would say this time it was kind of weird because, you know, last year it, it's been a very, I, I don't know if I want to call it, tur well, maybe I would call it a turbulent time where all of our systems that we've kind of lived by are normal was shaken. And with that, like, you've had a lot of people who've had to kind of reevaluate what, like, I guess what life means to them. Meanwhile, trying to, like, stay alive and staying, like, not sick from this virus. I mean, I, it it had been about four years since I've written, like, a poetry book. Um, it wasn't necessarily in the plans. It just... One day, it came... I just came up with the idea where I was going to kind of do Long Live where... I, I mean, I wouldn't call it, a, like, a journal or journal entries, but it was, like... I picked specific days where I would just write free, like freehand things about like things about that day and kind of what I felt about like when it came to, you know, when New Jersey or like the world 
first hit lockdown and it seemed like everything was closing up the election things like that like all these inflection points it's just was a year-long process which was way different than i usually kind of write books like usually i write them it, it takes like a week or two for me to really get the concepts down but this one gestated in my mind longer and it's it was actually pretty cool to do you get to like look back and see how you felt during this i guess this pandemic because you know far as i know nobody lived in 19 you know 08 or 1918 back when like the spanish flu was prevalent you know like so it's good to see this time and how you felt and like i guess how the people around you felt as well no that's that's so true and yeah i identify with so much of that i mean i think it's pretty much safe to say that the past year has been a very you know interesting time period for a lot of people it's been a lot of adjusting and everyone's been coping and and doing everything differently so no I, i think it's cool that you just kind of focused on on your creative outlets and and stuck with that and yeah, I'm sure you, like you said, have a lot of things to talk about. And um, no, I was I was uh, listening to your interview on the Four or Five Exchange podcast. I, I thought it was a really great conversation and stuff too. And I remember you mentioning in there about um, taking roughly two years or so to just kind of let let life happen and gather experiences that way. So yeah, um, definitely with this time period and stuff, I'm sure you. Yeah, came up with a ton of material. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I when I write books, I really take the like I've kind of been influenced by bands like Tool. Okay, you know how the Tool will like go, they'll go like ten years with like just writing music and not releasing it, and just waiting until it's the right time to kind of do things. Um, I really believe with the books that I've released, they're kind of snapshots in my life. And in order for them to be kind of full term or the best that they can be, I believe in that process, you kind of do have to let life happen. Otherwise, like you'll be drawing on experiences that may have already happened. And that that's cool too. But like I would like to let a considerable time where things have molded me where i've molded things where you know i've had these experiences where i have something to talk about and have something to write about in order to like put that out into the world i just feel like that's more fulfilling yeah no i would i would definitely agree with that and it's it's funny because when you mentioned about um just constantly writing and only releasing a select or handful amount of stuff it reminds me of this was years ago uh through substream which i know you actually contribute for right now um, but i did a piece where i interviewed um the cancer bats and on one of their upcoming albums and they kind of had that same mentality too to where they were just constantly writing but you know and they had i think 20 plus potential songs for the album but they cut that list like in half when they actually released it but they were just writing and throwing ideas out there but and then just taking the time to fine tune it and everything when they actually released it which I found really interesting yeah I mean I there are like during I guess I guess like in the beginning of the year there were kind of like little poetry things that I would write in in my notebook 
just words and stuff here and there and like just seeing where things would go like not really kind of putting a cap on like a word like like how many words a thing would be or what a feeling would be and just kind of like seeing where it goes because it would, it had been a little while since I've written poetry like after the end verses I had taken a break from writing that sort of prose or anything like that and then I would start reading things like like Shakespeare and Langston Hughes and Sylvia Plath and just kind of like drawing from all these creative wells and I, I decided when I returned back to poetry like it would be I would kind of approach it different uh, because I would write you know before then I would write things kind of like songs you know what I mean like it would be mm-hmm. like alright it has to be the structure and maybe I would like get a little acoustic guitar and play some stuff and then I would write stuff even though I'm not writing music this time it was just kind of going with a feeling like how do you feel how did you feel in that present time and day when you saw that you know newscast or you heard about that event or those times alone where you know of course during the pandemic like we've had we all have had alone time like it, right. it's not like we could really like go anywhere or supposed to kind of like do the things that we did pre-pandemic so like those areas where like you can really kind of dive into the inwards of yourself and figure out why things are why like and discover why you do things like that self-exploratory phase yeah no i i agree completely with that so um and i remember you mentioning previously on that four or five exchange podcast that you do um, free writes in the mornings so is that some, a practice you still keep up with or have you adjusted um, things a bit with the times of COVID? Yeah, it, I still do do that because I feel like that writing in the morning and kind of like fresh when you get up is kind of the purest uh, form of, of writing. Like sometimes you get things from dreams. Sometimes you get ideas when you wake up and you're like, you know, what, I'm feeling this way. Like maybe I should jot this down. But I adjusted it in COVID. Like I would write at night too. I, that was something that I've never really did uh, previously. I would write kind of after the day was done. I would kind of like turn off the TV, kind of let things breathe, and then just write down on that date like how how I felt and you know what emotions and things I were going through at the time, and it varied. Like you know, sometimes in this pandemic like you felt hopeful sometimes you felt hopeless sometimes you felt like the walls were caving in sometimes you know you saw things that were happening on the outside and you felt like you were a big a big part of something that was going to change the lives of many so like it i love that there's a beauty where a real vulnerability to this book where like it's not all it's not all sunny and i don't think that anybody can attest to like being the pandemic where we're all like, you know, everything's going to be fine. We're going to be, well, maybe, maybe at first when lockdown happened, we probably all kind of thought, you know, all right, it'll be a couple weeks, maybe a month. And then we'll be right back to what we were doing before. And here we are like past the year and we're still trying to figure this thing out. So yeah, yeah, it, it covers all bases. And I think that's one of the strengths of, how this book came about. Yeah, no, and, and 
like I said, I mean, I'm sure there's a ton to talk about too, because yeah, there's obviously so much uncertainty and everything right now. And people seem to be more divided than ever. And there's so many things happening, you know, beneath the, the surface of, you know, like there's so much, I guess, bleakness on the surface and even under the surface. And it's, it's all about finding, I guess, the silver linings right now. Um, and everybody's been doing it differently, but, um, now going back, I guess, to, uh, writing at night as opposed to in the morning, have you noticed a, a difference between writing at night compared to in the morning? When I write in the morning, there, I mean, there isn't a heaviness to it, I feel, because you get the time to rest. You get a time to kind of clear out the junk from like the previous day or what you've gone through. Uh, it, uh, when I write in the morning, I feel like it's a little bit more, I wouldn't say a little bit more positive, but it kind of is. Uh, when I write at night, there's all different types of types of emotions that bombard me. So it could be angry. It could be when is this going to end? You know what I mean? Like or mm -hmm. and when I find out uh, when I write at night, there are more varying subjects because obviously, like when you go through the day, you've been through so much. You know what I mean? Like think about the pandemic and like. There was just, it just seems like it was just like 15 news bulletins in an hour or something else would happen here. Or maybe you had times where like you turned the news off and you went for a hike, socially distanced, of course, mm -hmm. and kind of lived in that space and figured out how freeing that was. So I think, yeah, night writing was definitely a little bit heavier for me. But it gave me uh, kind of a multitude of things to write about where as the day or waking up first day in the morning, it was a little bit more optimistic. Okay. No, that's that's really interesting. And that was mainly, I guess, for my own curiosity because I, I typically do a lot of my writing at night. But I've um, a lot of the authors that I um, really am inspired by do morning writes and stuff too. And I've been... I've been meaning to give it a shot, but I just, uh, <laughs> I need to be more of a morning person. I need to develop a better routine because I, I'm a hardcore night owl. I stay up super late every single night. So then naturally I, I sleep to the last minute every morning, but yeah. like, um, like I was a big fan of Anthony Bourdain and he did writing in the morning, um, before he went to his restaurants and stuff like first thing in the morning. And, um, but yeah, so I was just kind of curious how the, how the two compared to one another. That's interesting. Yeah, it clear, I mean, like, I feel like writing in the morning clears my head a lot. So, like, I'm emptying out when I don't write at night and then I get a good night's sleep. But then again, what is that anymore during COVID? Yeah, right. Uh, but when I get a good night's sleep and I empty out every single thing that I had in my head, I go in the day way clearer than I did, uh, than I would if, like, I didn't do that. So it's interesting that you you mentioned Anthony Bourdain because, like, in watching his shows and kind of like reading his book, if it, it feels that way too. Yeah, no, that's that yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, and like I I said, I mean, he was. It's unfortunate because, as embarrassing as it is to admit, I didn't even know who he was until after he died. But then afterward, I I be just became fascinated with him. And I was like, how have I never? heard of this person I, i've read like three of his books now i obsessively watched his show and i was like man like he was such a blessing to humanity and i never even knew who he was until after 
That's crazy, right? Like, think about, like, like Anthony Bourdain or other celebrities or philosophers that, like, you may have not checked until they've passed away. And then, like, you're like, oh, man, like, I really would have, I really wish I would have experienced them while they were alive, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's so like, true. And I think it was, I believe it was Van Gogh who didn't even sell a painting until after he died. I did a little more digging into this, and Van Gogh actually sold the Red Vineyard back in 1890 for 400 Belgian francs, according to an article by the Baltimore Sun. However, it also depends on what you classify as a sale, as Van Gogh also would trade his work with other artists, often exchange for some food or art supplies, according to the Van Gogh Museum website. While the exact number of sales during his lifetime is still largely unknown, ultimately it's safe to say he sold very little, and his work didn't get nearly as much recognition until after his death. Which is the point I was trying to make. And it's it's sad that it, it almost like comes... I don't want to say that's it's like that for all creators or anything, but I find that really fascinating that it just... You know, people don't really discover them until after the fact, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, hopefully... <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen to me. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like, I hope I get discovered while I'm st- I can, you know, see that. But, I mean, you never know. You never know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't mean to make that dark turn there. It's just something I was thinking out loud about. <laughs> but, no, uh, that's, that's, that's so interesting, though. But, um, no, when I was doing some, some digging, a stat that I found super interesting about you is that you've contributed to over 18 different websites, including Substream Magazine, Mind Equals Blown, The Pop Break, Under the Gun Review, um, have that journalism portfolio with over 900 articles, which blew my mind. So, um, <laughs> is, in that impressive writing resume, is there any particular organization or experience you can point to that significantly impacted you? I mean, I got to go with Mind Eagles Blown. Yeah? I, I mean, because that's where it started. Of course, we know, you know, Joe Ballard, who was, mm-hmm. you know, who was editor there. Um, I had been writing things on Tumblr. I've always been a writer, you know what I mean? But I've mm-hmm. never, like... And then I wrote, like, my first book even before I thought about doing journalism. But I'd always been kind of writing these editorials and, you know, op-eds and maybe the occasional album review. I didn't know what I was doing, you know. But I perused about writing for a few sites. And then I came across Mind Eagles Blown. And I got in touch with Joe. And then I think I was at Coachella one year. And, you know, with Mind Equals One, there was, like, the trial period where you had to write four articles and stuff. So I was at Coachella writing, like, my trial period articles. Like, writing about, I think my first album review was for Chevelle Lagagora. And and then I wrote, and then I wrote, like, some editorials and stuff. And, like, me and Joe were talking back and forth. And then the rest is history. I joined Mind Equals Blown, met all you good folk. Uh, Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was, listen, like, if it wasn't for that site and meeting everybody there, like, I don't know where I would be. I just think that that Mind Equals Bone for how small it was, so many talented people, you know what I mean? Like, so many mm-hmm. talented writers, photographers, you know, they everybody had the spirit. It was like, even though we were small, like, we... We thought that we can contend with the big sites. And and I think yeah. we did. You know what I mean? Like we started, you know, me, Nick and Connor started that podcast, which was really cool to do. 
Um, it was really awesome to see everybody, like just to see everybody write and see everybody contribute. And I got so inspired. And that's where kind of like the fire, you know, came from. And, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. No, it's it's so funny because I, I agree completely with you because that's, that's kind of where I got my big start as well. And I know that's where originally where our paths cross because I did... I did journalism a little bit in high school. I wrote for my school newspaper and then I just took a break after that and then randomly got back into it because my friend Landon was writing for Mine Equals Blown and I was like, you know, you get to review albums and go to shows and write about it and interview bands. That sounds amazing. Like, how do I do that? And then, yeah, I started talking with Joe and then it's it's so funny to me because I I agree completely. I mean, I met so many people from that site, only a, a few in person after that. But I mean, just getting connected and networking with all those people was so substantial for me as well. So that's, that's so awesome. Yeah. There's still people like other, like you, uh, Heather, uh, Chelsea. There, there's a lot of people that I still talk to. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, Connor, uh, there was Connor who I think is an amazing photographer uh andy i still talk to you know what i mean like it's just Mm -hmm. it was a perfect storm of so many talented and driven people that like at its peak you know like that that really influenced me and i was glad that i'd be a part of it no that's that's so cool um yeah and and it's it's funny because i've actually met connor as well because he he managed the merch, I believe, for uh, The World is a Beautiful Place and I'm No Longer Afraid to Die. And when they were going on tour, um, they had a few, like, Michigan spots. And I went to the show, and he's at the merch table, so I actually got to meet him in person. Yes, yeah, you know, super sweet guy and everything. Like, it was it was such a cool, surreal moment because, you know, I I believe he's based in Philly and stuff, too. And not sure if I'd ever actually meet some of these people, but then our paths just cross at these different events and, and shows, and I'd... Yeah, I found that really fascinating. Yeah, we were all over. Like, some were <laughs> yeah. in California, some were in Florida, some were in Michigan. I was in New Jersey. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, it's like New Jersey. You know what I mean? But You're right. Uh, I think, yeah, Emma was in New Jersey, too. So I didn't, like, I didn't feel alone. You know what I mean? And I was like, yeah, I'm over here in the Northeast. You know, it was really cool. It's really cool. Like, you think with... Any journalist who kind of because you know media is way in flux this time, but like any journalist who is writing for what you consider a small site, like mm-hmm. keep at it. You know what I mean? Like because there were amazing opportunities that I got through Mind Equals Blown because we just stuck with it. We just believed in ourselves, and you know what I mean? Like we rose to I think a considerable amount of like respect and like just exceeding expectations because we all believed in it oh definitely and i always found it so funny because i i had one of the mind equals blown shirts well i still have it but uh, i still do yeah (laughs) it's a great shirt and um so i i wore that out on several occasions uh one of them i went to like journeys at the mall all that shoe store and one of the guys working there was like, oh, one of my friends used to write for that site and everything. I was like, you actually know what my was blown is? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I thought that was pretty cool. And then another awesome one was uh, it was Mikey from A Lot Like Birds when I interviewed them. Um, I was wearing the Mind Equals Blown shirt that day, too. And he 
pointed at. And he's like, oh, yeah, one of my friends contributes for them and all that. And I was like, man, like, it's blowing my mind that, like, these people actually know the site. It's like, you actually know Mind Equals Blown? That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Because you think, like, when you write things and put it out into the void, like, nobody sees them because everything's mm-hmm. about algorithm and stuff like that. But no, no, people see. Yeah. I know it was kind of one of those surreal moments and stuff, too. And, yeah, it was such a big stepping stone for me personally, too, because from Mind Goes Blown, that's how I started writing for Substream. And, you know, to to say that I, eventually I would have, like, a few album reviews or featured editorials or um, interviews with these different bands, that it would actually be in a magazine that you could at least at one point in time, pick up at Barnes and Noble and FYE, I, I'd think you were crazy. I'd never think it'd be possible for me. So yeah, that was a very just kind of crazy, surreal thing that ended up happening all because of my Nico's blown. So yeah, I'm glad we're on the same wavelength with that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. Now, do you find contributing to these different organizations and having deadlines, do you find that it keeps you disciplined as a writer or are you naturally pretty disciplined on your own? I'm naturally pretty disciplined, but, you know, now kind of just being a TV and film critic, it just seems as though things are releasing all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's, like, you know, on, like, Movie Friday, it seems like there will be, there's, like, four different movies. <laughs> right. Or, and, and then, you know, I also write TV stuff, too, and then there'll be, you know... Falcon and Winter Soldier one day, and then there'll be something like Mighty Ducks coming out the same day as well. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it definitely keeps me dis- disciplined. I've gotten my organization tactics definitely better, I, mm-hmm. I would say. Than, like, being a journalist for so long, uh, it, it definitely, I'm like, okay, like, I got to get down to business. You know, this has to go at a certain point. You know, especially with, you know, if you do, like, uh, film festivals, like, there's embargo. There's always going to be embargoes for everything. So mm-hmm. you just got to make sure you're on your toes. Yeah. No, I, I agree completely with that. It's it's funny because I've kind of been going down that path myself as of recently. My friend Landon and I, who I mentioned earlier, who started at Mind Equals Blown, we started a podcast recently called Films for the Void. So we talk about different movies and stuff and yeah, that's been a lot of fun and stuff, too. And I know you have the Rotten Tomatoes profile as well. So, yeah, how, how did that, um, I guess, all start and everything for you just wanting to get more involved in film and getting that Rotten Tomatoes account? I mean, I've always been a cinephile. I've always loved film uh, ever since I was small. Uh, I think that there was a love for horror movies when I was younger, which, I mean, people would probably look at me as like, really? You were watching The Exorcist when you were like nine years old and not getting <laughs> phased by it like what the hell is wrong with you but i've always you know been interested in the filmmaking process writing everything in that nature like the same time that i did music journalism i was congruently doing like writing film reviews and tv reviews i think the first show that i was writing on a weekly basis was true blood and it was like the last it, it was the last season of true blood which wasn't really the greatest but it was a learning process it was a good learning process and like having a weekly structure of okay like sundays at eight gotta watch this you know write up the episode review and put it out and of course as you write more and as you look at you know 
more genre of film, your eye develops. You you get to mm-hmm. look at different director uh, styles as far as cinematography, how they tell stories. You know, like Martin Scorsese does it this way, Zack Snyder does it this way. You know, everything like exposing yourself to all these different genres and where it really came ahead you know full to me i think about three years ago where i started consistently writing about film and last year i put in you know the application to like you know be a rotten tomato certified critic for a while i didn't i didn't know it was going to happen because the pandemic hit and then like it was like the state of film was so in flux is like are you know are studios even going to release movies mm-hmm. at that time like we can't go to the theater you know like then things started to shift where you know things started to go to VOD and I started looking more at indie films and things like that nature so like one day and I you know it was crazy it was last year on my birthday oh wow that i got the email it was like you've been approved for you know I'm like what I'm like this is amazing you know <laughs> I'm actually committing to uh, contributing to the dreaded tomato meter which is something like I, I know like some people take it to heart some people don't but I take it as a really a, a, a privilege where anytime that I write about film anytime I write about television I keep I consider in my mind that somebody made this. Somebody had the courage to make this and put this out. So mm-hmm. if I don't like something, I'm very I'm, I'm not I'm not going to tear it down like this really sucks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm going to constructively say why this didn't work for me because you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. directors, producers, writers, I, I feel like they appreciate that. Yeah. And I want you know when people. I guess, like, when people write and they'll read a review of mine, they're like, oh, you know, maybe I don't like the Snyder Cut, but I understand why he would because he explained why. Yeah. So, like, that's, I think that as a kind of like a, a, a film and TV critic and then, like, kind of dabbling into, like, all these other things in journalism, I'm probably better, I'm probably the best that I've been because I'm always studying, I'm always... I'm not saying that I'm a master at anything. I'm always a teacher, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, oh, so cool. I guess going back to, I guess, what you were just bringing up there, do you ever find it difficult to, I guess, articulate your thoughts if you just didn't care for something? Like, do you ever find it hard to, to write a negative review? When I first started, I did. I was like, ah, I don't really like this movie. Like, how do I, how do I say it where I'm not trying to be a dick? Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, <laughs> Oh man, this this CGI was terrible. I you know I was like the way, you know I had to sit in the theater and I felt you know what I mean like now it's just kind of second nature. Now I kind mm-hmm. of like all right you know maybe two thirds in this movie really worked for me, but the ending didn't really quite hit, or the way that the cinematography was structured, mm-hmm. um, it kind of was grading to. The story that the director or producer or somebody was trying to tell, or maybe the the acting wasn't as strong. I, I feel like in writing these reviews, you have to be honest. Like you can't write for in adverse to what like 
somebody reading it would think like oh man like they're really not gonna like that i don't like this movie it's more mm-hmm. uh more as of like okay like this is why i don't like it and you know take it for what it is but i'm gonna be kind of like constructive and try to find like you know you try to find the pluses but if you have to say the minuses you're just not a jerk about it yeah no i i agree with that completely i mean um i think as long as you can articulate your thoughts and constructively say why you know something didn't work or wasn't effective then i think it's perfectly reasonable you know to and just almost expected to to be as honest and as transparent as possible about how you felt about something and like you said, I, I think that comes with just experience and watching more things. You develop more of an eye and just writing. And I don't know about you, but just looking back to some of my first reviews compared to now, I would like cringe at some of the earlier. Oh, ones. they! Oh, I, mine were bad. Mine were bad. <laughs> they were not. You could del- definitely tell. Like, you know, I read about like who is this guy? Like, who is this guy? I think he is. You know what I mean? Like, like what? what why would you like? Why would you say that? But then again, that's the learning process of journalism, where you have to allow yourself to fail and then look back and then see how far you've come. If you didn't, yeah. if you didn't write those reviews that didn't really stick or carry you through that learning process, you would have never reached the point to where you are now. That's so true. No, I agree completely. I mean, as scary as it is, you really have to be you know, vulnerable, put yourself out there and kind of roll up your sleeves and just give it a try. And just kind of knowing in your head, like it's not going to be perfect. And I'm sure I'll look back at <laughs> these early podcast episodes later on and be like, man, I didn't know what I was doing. I was an idiot then. And <laughs> <laughs> like that's just kind of inevitable with any new hobby or thing you start doing. So yeah, no, I, <laughs> I agree completely. And I, I, I know you touched on this a little bit, um, dropping the names of different poets and everything, but um, is that mainly who inspires you or inspires your writing, or do you have any other authors or people that you can point to? I, I would say definitely Langston Hughes um, is a really big inspiration to me. Maya Angelou is another, another one. Um, Hunter S. Thompson and his writing style is another one of mine. But even, like, even musicians... You know, I think Keith Buckley from Every Time I Die and the way that he writes lyrics is amazing, you know, Mm -hmm. and how he like kind of relates to subjects. Uh, Definitely uh, Maynard from Tool, Chino from Deftones, Art, like like you touched on Van Gogh, Mm -hmm. that that that's kind of like in his abstract paintings and uh, Da Vinci. Uh, even like old like things like the Odyssey books like that were kind of an inspiration to me as well. Like I try to I try to draw from all different types of of things and storytelling. So like I have like all these in my toolkit. Yeah, no, I, I think being well rounded is, is so important for sure. And and obviously with what you're doing too, spanning the different mediums, the different decades, even centuries. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, uh, no, that's that's so awesome, though. Um, now, do you ever get writer's block? And if so, how do you try and offset it? You know, I think here, like there, we live in a world, and I think that the the COVID nineteen slew definitely slowed this down, where we feel like we have to constantly output, output, output. Right? If we don't constantly write or produce things, we feel like people 
will forget about us. We won't get engagement. Um, we won't get the followers or anything like that. <laughs> and I think that what was vital to me is to actually take breaks. Like, it's okay to take, you know, a week off and just kind of let your brain breathe. Because I feel when I do that, I come back a lot fresher. Mm-hmm. You know, before you know, when I was younger, I would just kind of like right through it to the point where like it felt like my brain was a car and there was no, you know, the starter went bad. It wouldn't turn over. Like it was just like, all right, like my brain is like, listen, I'm making the decision for us. <laughs> we are taking a break. We are not writing today. Right. So before I get to that point, I feel it where I'm like, okay, like I'm pressing a little bit. Maybe it's time to take a couple days to just kind of, you know, read, you know, work out, run, take in other mediums, like listen to podcasts and stuff like that. So when I return to this thing, I feel a lot better about it. I have actual ideas to, to go from, and especially like just living life, just doing things and being around Mm -hmm. people and especially being present is so vital to the creative process. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely with that. I mean, uh, from a personal standpoint, yeah, just being well-rounded and taking the time to read more and, you know, I'm a runner, so I'll go out for a run or something like that. And that usually just really clears my head and, uh, yeah. And just stepping away from things so you can get a, a fresh perspective on things for sure. Um, and that was something I kind of made a point to do this year myself was because I read a lot of nonfiction in general um, and kind of read some very kind of dense or just heavy things or just things for the sake of just learning new subject matters and things like, and it kind of got to a point where I was thinking, I really need to start reading more fiction to get better with that style of writing. And um, yeah, so I I made a point to start doing more of that this year. And I feel like it, it definitely makes a difference. I'm, uh, I'm trying to work my way through infinite jest right now. And it is a, bear but david foster wallace was such an amazing writer (laughs) so um yeah so that's been that's been quite the experience (laughs) but yeah uh speaking of your books though because i was digging through some of them on amazon and um i know primarily do a lot of collection of your poetry but i was kind of drawn to that uh the bucket travel series of vegas and i thought it was just kind of interesting to create a mini book on various states that you travel through. So do you plan on doing that for any other states around the U S yes. Uh, it's, I can't reveal what that's going to evolve into just yet. Okay. That it may evolve out of, it may not be just a book. It might be a short film. It might be a photo series, but I definitely thinking about that. I definitely want to revisit that. I definitely want to, expand upon that because that was really a cool idea that I thought in the spur of the moment. And I think that when we get to start traveling again, mm-hmm. uh, it would be really cool to maybe, you know, like I said, like if I don't do poetry, if I don't do like a short novel to kind of involve, maybe involve other people, maybe involve friends who are in various states mm-hmm. to do it too. So like, yeah, that's definitely something that I'm, been thinking about and been kind of like storyboarding too yeah and i remember you kind of uh teased that idea a little bit too on the 405 exchange podcast so still kind of on the hush hush right now with everything with that yeah i don't want to like because it's still in the planning stages i don't want to say too much 
Yeah. But I got a really cool idea in how to make it in different mediums. So, like, maybe... You know, maybe to, when everything kind of calms down, it could come to, into the fruition. Because right now, I feel I feel like even though, you know, vaccines are on the way, we're still in kind of this holding period of like, you know, can I hug somebody? Right. Can I, you know, do I have to elbow tap? Can I be in the same room with you, you know? Oh, yeah. It's, it's going to be a lot of adjusting, even in the post-COVID world. I mean, I, I think about that constantly. Like, how long is it going to be before people, you know, feel safe? hugging one another or something like that or even just like going and visiting somebody that they don't see regularly or something like that i mean i think psychologically it's gonna it's gonna take a little bit of time for people to yeah because you got to think about it it's been a year right it's been yeah if you haven't been living with somebody or you've been seeing somebody at a distance it's not really uh, or just kind of like going to the grocery store and then that's it. It's not really the frequency that we used to do. So like, say like going to a bar and full capacity again, are people going to feel weird about it? Like, are people going to feel weird about like things like touch and things of being in close proximity? How, since we've been so distanced from, from each other, like, just talking to each other face to face, how different that is going to be. I feel like we still have to deal with, even though we might keep the virus at bay with, you know, as more people get vaccinated, we still have to deal with the aftermath of being in quarantine for so long and kind of getting back to not, not to say what a normal, what our normal was, but what this new normal is going to be. Yeah. And, no, I agree completely. And I think right after the pandemic kind of started, there was a really interesting article or interview done with David Lynch um, about kind of his stance on it. And it was it was really cool because he was really optimistic that the world would be much more kind after everything eventually goes back to normal. Once we rediscover what normal is, I guess I find that super interesting for sure. Now. I know that all of your books are self-published, so do you ever find handling all those finer details exhausting? When I first started, yeah. <laughs> when I first like did the book, I was like, "What am I, like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. What am I like? What, what, what is what is this? How do I even compose this?" And it was my first book. We are not officially wearing headgear. Was definitely trial and error. Mm-hmm. It was definitely like, "Can I do this? I have." All this poetry that I've been doing, can I actually do this into a book? How do I market it? How do I get it onto like sites like Barnes and Noble and Amazon? And as I've been doing books, um, it's actually become easier. Which thank mm-hmm. God, like you know, <laughs> I went through that that period of like, all right, you have to do it this way. You have to format covers. You have to format things so when your book is on a tablet it's not all over the place it, it's definitely easier not to rule out in the future maybe i do go through a publisher when i eventually write you know a novel one day mm-hmm. uh but right now like i've hit an uh a thing where i've, I've kind of figured it out and i love kind of like the freedom of kind of putting out things when i want and you know having the creative liberties to kind of the make the projects come to fruition to the way I see them right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
Now, did you design your website as well? Yes. Nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're really, really handling all of it. I know. And, and yeah, from a personal standpoint too, I mean, I feel like my resume isn't quite as lengthy as yours, but even just, you know, having a blog or podcasts and things like that, like, and just kind of figuring it out and stumbling on my own with it, it, it definitely gets exhausting for sure. And just, you know, figuring things out. And I, yeah, to your point, I'd say it gets kind of easier just as you get doing it. But I think that's with any sort of experience. It just kind of takes time. Oh, I mean, like, dude, you got to give yourself credit. Like, you, you do awesome stuff, too. You know what I mean? Oh, well, thank uh, you. <laughs> but, uh, like, I, I, I can't say that I do it alone. I do. I definitely do have friends uh, that, like, if I had a problem, I can go to. And, like, they definitely lend help whenever I needed to or like I need advice or things like that. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm very hands-on. I'm very like Trent Reznor-ish with like, yeah. uh, like doing things a certain way and kind of like having 18 different hats. But mm-hmm. even with that, like he has an Atticus Ross. He has an Alan Mulder. He has people that he works with because he can't necessarily do everything. And that's the same thing with me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it does really take a village. Yeah. No, that's that's such a critical part of it, and that's something I've I've been realizing more and more. And like my brother Joel, he flips houses, and it's it's funny because you know the the finer details of of his story are just a little bit are obviously different, but they're the same exact concepts. Like I mean, when he was first started doing it, he was you know doing all the work himself, you know, getting the deals, finding that, but then eventually he started having some people work for him that he realized were good workers and stuff. And like, instead of going over and fixing a furnace, he has a guy he can just call and do it for him. And like, you know, the same concept carries over for, you know, if you're a writer or what have you, but yeah, I mean like now I, I have someone who I can reach out to if I have questions about website design, I have somebody who does awesome work on logos and like someone who's great at like editing audio and video and stuff. So like, yeah, I've been slowly, I guess building like a small team of sorts. I mean, um, so yeah, I just kind of think back to, I don't know if you've read much like Malcolm Gladwell or anything, but like connectors yeah. to where you just, you don't necessarily have to know the answer. You just have to know somebody who knows the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's definitely interesting. Yeah. I, I definitely like, I'm very thankful that I have, you know, people in my corner who are willing to kind of like help me out and kind of, like give me like listen like i just started kind of doing graphic design mm-hmm. but i have like a friend who's the best graphic designer in the world <laughs> or one of them that i can kind of go to is like listen i can't get this object to be the way i want it to be like how do you how do you do that and you i mean i'm thankful as that like i have confidence that i'm very good at a lot of things mm-hmm. but i'm also humble to admit that i'm not great at everything so like that keeps me learning being around people who are better who are better than me in something. Yeah. That like who can keep who can teach me. Oh, yeah, so true. I I I mean I read all the time in like business books and self-help books and everything too like you know that preach that you know if you're the smartest person in the room you're in trouble type thing. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah, constantly surround yourself by by people who you can learn something from and yeah, you know I identify with that so much. I know your uh, so your Facebook summarizes you as a freelance journalist, photographer, author, 
podcast producer and bread and candlestick <laughs> maker. So <laughs> literally you stay pretty busy. Um, do you ever get overwhelmed or find it hard to balance all of those projects? You know, here the one thing that I learned this year or last year was I really separated who I was from what I do. I contributed it to climbing mountains. Like I, I am very driven. I'm very like, okay, I'm going to go do that. And then I go do that. You know, I might slip. I may like skin my knee mm-hmm. a little bit, but I'm going to reach that mountain. But the problem was that I wasn't enjoying the view. I was so quick to go and achieve something else that I didn't really appreciate what I just did. This year, I really learned how to not only kind of like sit and enjoy the view, but like take it in, breathe, see the sunrise, see the sunset, and then really like understand the gravity of what I just did. Because we get caught up in kind of like this capitalistic mindset is like, this is never enough, you know what I mean? And then to the point where you're achieving and you're doing so much that it never fulfills, nothing can ever fulfill you. And I think kind of like you know what i didn't write today but that's okay like i mm-hmm. went out and had dinner with a friend or like i've joined zoom and did like trivia and and things like that like it's writing and all the things that i do creatively it's just part of myself there's a whole other person outside of that and once i really understood that and kind of lived in it and been present in it my writing got better. Um, my work-life balance got better. You know what I mean? I no longer defined myself as those titles. Hence, you know, the bread and candlestick maker. I have not made candlesticks, but I have made bread. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just all about that and kind of, like, reconfiguring who you are as a person. Yeah. No, that, that's so true, though. And that's that's a lesson I've been learning myself, honestly, because, um I'm the same way too. I'm I'm extremely gung ho about things and love to just dive into new stuff. Um, you know, stumble along the way or you know, for the longest time I had a hard problem saying no to things. So I would just constantly like fill my plate with so many different projects and I just get burnt out. Oh, and yeah. yeah, I mean no, it's it's so important though. And I've come to realize lately, I don't know if um you feel the same way, but just you know, I I need to take time each day for myself to just do something for the sake of doing it. But I've come to realize I won't take time for myself and do it like unless I schedule it or put it on the to do list, because otherwise I'll just find yes. more things to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to like, all right, man, like computers off at this point because I'm going to go run. Right. At six. Mm-hmm. Because like, like you said, like if you don't schedule that time, it's like all right, maybe I could write another review here. Yep. And then that turns into two hours. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, like, you're like, oh, man, I didn't go run. Now I have to go rush. Yep. Uh, I completely agree with you on there. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, all right, I have to schedule time for myself to kind of be off grid or not be constantly doing something and being present on, you know, uh, like you said, like running, working out being with you know a girlfriend or your family and things like that like it really has to be rigid time where like all right it's okay i don't have to be a um like a a goal hound all the time Mm -hmm. no it's it's so true and yeah finding that balance is so critical too because it just keeps you fresh and rejuvenated for 
you know, when you go through and tackle those passion projects and everything and approach it from a, you know, I guess a vigorous and motivated perspective. So, yeah, that's that's something I, I mean, I, I definitely wouldn't say I'm perfect with that balance. I, I can still get a little off balance sometimes with it. But, uh, yeah, it's still a, still a thing I'm working on, but something I found that's so critical for sure. Now, I got a heavy one for you. So what's your ultimate goal as a writer? Ooh, that's a good question. That is a good question. So I guess when I when I started in journalism and when I started writing, it was kind of like this shallow thing. It was like, I want to be on Billboard. Mm-hmm. I want to be, you know, I want to write for Rolling Stone. Uh, you know, I want to do this, do that, make all the money in the world and things like that. You know, and, and not to say that I don't still want to write for Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. but my goals have definitely changed uh, as I've gone on. Like, it's, I think I'm approaching seven years as a journalist and kind of a lifetime as a writer. I n- honestly now just want to inspire people to write. Like, younger people, older people, just do it. Yeah. Just do it. Like, I know we're in the wild, wild, wild rest right now where it seems like media is losing so many jobs and, you know, it's unfortunate because we do need journalism. We do need writing. We need this art, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't want people to get discouraged because, like, you, you know, you have things like Substack, you have Medium, you have Patreon, mm-hmm. where, like, people can really start these things and, you know get paid for them and hopefully we can get back to a time where journalism and things are valued to the point where journalists are getting a considerable living wage and, and everything like that like my goal my goal now it, my goal is to wake up each day and writing is something that I do mm-hmm. so writing is that's what that's what my job is and you know what like it is and, and that's because I just love to do it I, it's not that I want a million followers on Twitter or like a million shares and stuff like that. I just get joy in writing. Like it, it went back to the kid me who, you know, at the book fair read like Goosebumps and Animorphs and even books like uh, from like uh, Edgar Allan Poe mm-hmm. or Emerson and just wrote things and like maybe illegible things but like (laughs) just wrote things because you thought that you were writing a book and it wasn't that anybody was going to see them but you had that joy in your mind it's like oh man i'm really doing this like i love that i'm doing this yeah and i returned to that and like the overall goal is i want you know a younger person or like i said like an older person because you can it doesn't. It, it never matters the age that you start. It just matters that you start. That it can, they get inspired by me to do it, and especially where like maybe I can make an impact where you know my more minorities can do it as well. You know, mm-hmm. um, and more minority representation at the top, and making a more inclusive, safe environment for journalism as well. You know, just for for women and uh, people of color and the LGBTQ, like I want that. And I don't know, like I'm still trying to fight and get ways of doing that. But like mine, 
my goals have turned more altruistic instead of selfish, I think. Yeah, no, that, man, I identified with so much of that, you know, too, personally. That's that's so awesome. And yeah, that's, I think, ultimately why I went down the path, too, of, of podcasting a little bit more. Not only because I have been listening to more podcasts and just feel very drawn to it, but, you know, I... I I enjoyed writing and stuff as well and, and blogging, but um, I don't know, to me, it, it felt very, I don't want to say selfish, but it just felt very like self-indulgent almost. Like it was just, I didn't like the spotlight always being on me all the time. I kind of like to have more of a platform and I think stories ultimately are what I just love in general, whether they're my own or someone else's. So, um, which ultimately led me down this path and stuff. So no, I identify with that so much of kind of spreading it outward and inspiring and trying to inspire inspiration in other people so that's so cool it's it's hilarious you mentioned goosebump books too because that really takes me back i mean that was (laughs) i was never like a big reader as a kid necessarily um but i just loved goosebump books i mean i i went through the i absolutely loved all of those like um geez monster blood stay out of the basement cuckoo clock of doom like i i would read those constantly like in elementary school and uh we even had like this event called i think it was fourth grade it's called like pop the top and uh to where everyone brings in well here in michigan in the midwest we called soda pop so <laughs> everywhere ever, the rest of the world calls it soda but we call it pop but um where you bring in like a pop or a carbonated beverage or whatever and just sit down with a book like on fridays and read and i honestly loved it so much even though i wasn't like an as avid of a reader and i would just bring in goosebump books and do that and yeah and then uh i don't know if you ever heard of like michigan chillers but a very similar concept um by jonathan rand he uh, just had all these different crazy alliterations for Michigan cities, like aliens attack Alpena, dinosaurs destroy Detroit. It's all like Michigan-based cities of just these weird goosebump-esque stories that were just hilarious and well, not hilarious, but they were just really—I don't know—they they drew me in the the same way goosebumps did, and no, it's, they were so impactful. I think for sure. Oh, I mean, when I was younger in school, we always had like a book fair. Yeah. And we always had like, we always had the scholastic thing where you kind of like mark down what books you wanted. And I always beg my mom. I'm like, listen, can I, can I get like, I get like at least like 10 bucks to go buy like a a book. You know what I mean? Like, uh, there's these new Animorph books that are coming. I have to complete the set, mom, you know? (laughs) Right. Um, so I would always be a staple at the book fair. I would always go into the library to kind of like look at different modes of books. That's how I got into Shakespeare. That's how I like read old things like the Hardy Boys and um, a lot of nonfiction books as well. Like I was always a bookworm. So like the kid that I think uh, the animated th- like when uh, Recess where mm-hmm. like there was like a, a library kid. <laughs> <laughs> that that was like half of me like there was me that was into sports and like I, I did a lot of sports i was sporty but mm-hmm. i was also a sporty nerd because i was always reading and stuff like that. yeah so i bet you're probably obsessed with fantasy sports like i am yes <laughs> of course i knew it <laughs> uh football did me dirty this year oh yeah <laughs> it definitely did me dirty but yeah i love fantasy sports oh so good um no it's, it's so funny because uh yeah, well, one of the leagues, I was in three leagues, 
uh, for, for football. I actually misspoke here and was in four fantasy football leagues this past season, which only further proves how addicted I am to fantasy sports. I ended up winning one of them, but I'm in a keeper league for football that I just cannot do well in no matter what I do. I mean, it, it makes it harder too if it's since it's a keeper league, so you got to really think like longevity. And I mean, everyone in that league, it's a 12-team league, and they all do their homework hardcore. And it's so hard to get ahead, especially with the whole keeper aspect to it too. So it's 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 challenging. Um, but yeah, I'm doing fantasy basketball now, and I... I don't follow the NBA closely, like, at all. I just kind of crammed and listened to podcasts and did research beforehand and looked at the scoring. And, I don't know, I got really lucky. I had a great draft, and my team's still undefeated. I mean, knock on wood, but... <laughs> oh, nice. Trade deadline's tomorrow. I know, I know. My, my one friend keeps trying to set something up with me, and I think I might pull the trigger on it. I just got to um, reevaluate and do some research and stuff because it's... Uh, involving draft picks and stuff in it and i gotta gotta really weigh things out and think long term <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh football yeah fantasy football is my thing um i've always had like the strategy of like picking like uh, picking running backs mm -hmm. and, and wide receivers because it kind of tend to get you the most points and then like if a really good quarterback is there for you like you draft him like if and Aaron Rodgers falls to your lap. You're, that's points of Palooza right there. Oh, yeah. And then I always... I don't shark the waiver wire, but there's always like that... You, there's always that rookie or mm -hmm. that veteran that catches fire that like you add to your team, and then all of a sudden you're scoring like 150 points a week. Oh, yeah. There have been a lot of years where I've gotten lucky with that. Like, I think like one year it was like Peyton Hillis from uh, Cleveland Browns who yep. would, had that monster year. Or Kyle Orton yep. who was throwing like 400 yards a game. <laughs> uh, but this but this year, oh my God, like I had Dak Prescott. He got oh, hurt. Oh no, yeah. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like it, it, I got hit with a swath of injuries. I made the playoffs, but like I just couldn't do it. Like I played somebody who had like Tom Brady. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, he had like a couple, he had Devontae Adams from yep. uh, Green Bay. It was over. <laughs> it was over. Oh, for sure. Like some of those heavy hitting players that just, uh, especially Tom Brady, because I know a lot, he fell pretty, you know, hard in the draft. I think people really downplayed him um, before the season started. And, you know, obviously he's still proving people wrong. <laughs> yeah, he's got a ton, like, got a tons of weapons. Like he's got, you know, <laughs> Mike Evans, Goodwin, mm -hmm. Antonio Brown, uh, Scotty Miller. Yep. Uh, he's got you know Gronk. He's got Gronk back. And yeah. then, um, I know, and unfortunately, O.J. Howard suffered that injury, but he's a really talented tight end, too. I thought he was going to have a good year. And then, yeah, so many weapons. <laughs> it's crazy. And they're running it back this year. You know? I know. it's That was so, so insane. I mean, if you would have asked me the beginning of the year that if the Buccaneers would win the Super Bowl, I thought you were crazy. <laughs> <laughs> seven and five and i'm like okay they're out of it they're done and then they go on this winning streak and then they win three games on the road in the playoffs <laughs> and then you're like okay the chiefs are gonna do it and then they blow out i'm like they blow out the chiefs and and patrick mahomes they make him look pedestrian i know they I'm they like, like tom brady i know they like brought him back down to planet earth i was so 
blown away by that. He did not look like the same quarterback. No, and then they made all their we- all their weapons look pedestrian too, which was I'm like, jeez, what is going on? Like I did not I, I expected a high scoring game and that the Chiefs would eventually pull it out. Mm-hmm. Not Tom Brady though. Like Tom Brady had something to prove, especially with New England and how that split apart. Tom was like, I will not be denied and he wasn't. <laughs> so true. God, that's nuts. Now, I know earlier you kind of teased uh, writing a novel eventually. Do you have any rough ideas of what the novel would be about? It's in the beginning stages, just kind of writing ideas down. It's definitely going to be a fiction novel. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what genre because it's so early. But I know in the next in the next year, I definitely want I, I definitely want to write a full novel. That's awesome. Yeah. No, that's so good. Now, um, where can people find like your website or some of your writing samples and everything? You can go to my website at Murjani, uh, M-U-R-J-A-N-I-M, Rawls, R-A-W-L-S.com. Uh, of course, like I'm always on Twitter, uh, Murjani Rawls. Uh, Instagram is also Murjani Rawls. You can find me there, too, and harass me. <laughs> Maybe like reach out, say what's up. No, I'm I'm friendly, so. <laughs> no, so good. No, that's awesome. Yeah, no, this is this is a super good conversation. Um, is there that's anything awesome. you want to touch on that I may have forgot to ask about? No, man, I think it was awesome catching up with you. Uh, it's awesome seeing all your projects. So I'm I'm really proud of you, and I'm I'm kind of I'm proud of all of our you know all of our team and where we've all gone. And it was really good to be on this podcast and and talk everything like projects our create our creative processes and fan and finishing up with fantasy football that's the best way to do it <laughs> oh for Thanks sure i know yeah we're, we're really clicking on all these different subjects for sure um no so good oh man that's awesome yeah and no seriously i wish you the best with all of your future projects and everything um yeah no just keep putting your nose to the grindstone and putting stuff out there i know you will anyway but um no i always enjoy reading your stuff um that's why i wanted to reach out and stuff to you i think you're super motivated and do a lot of cool projects and always dabbling in different things so yeah i figured you'd be perfect person to have a fun conversation with and yeah and luckily i was right (laughs) (laughs) thanks a lot man thanks a lot for the for the compliments and likewise and likewise you you are totally awesome what you're doing with the podcast i've always read your writing uh, always been kind of always been proud and definitely keep doing it man because the world needs it thanks man seriously that that means a lot to hear because uh i know i know just writing and, and doing anything creative you just you know you, you get reach those moments where you feel like i don't know does anyone even care about this anyone even reading it you know type yeah. things so no those are always much appreciated and everything so no thank you so much so um yeah, no, that's that's awesome. So I'm excited to see um I'm excited to see Long Live come out and check that out and get updates on that and um dig through some of your other poetry books as well and everything. So yeah, thank you so much again. No problem, man. Thanks a lot. Yep. Alright, see ya. Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. Links to all of MJ's pages can be found in the show notes. 
If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for the Juxtapose Journeys podcast. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, send an email to juxtaposejourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. The Juxtapose Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner, and music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Editing, mixing, and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring.